Uh, we're in the book of Proverbs. I don't know if you knew that. And uh, we're, making, uh, we're making good progress. Uh, I love Proverbs. I think you do as well. It's the repository of wisdom. Uh, there's no lack of wisdom in the pages of this book. Uh, the issue is, uh, is this. Though wisdom is calling, is anybody really listening? In our day, it seems like a decreasing number of people are paying attention to the riches and treasures of wisdom which are found in the book of Proverbs. You're not uh, in that category. You're here, as am I. And so, so we're ready to dig a, into this text even a little deeper tonight. Caring parents and grandparents are concerned about their children and grandchildren. I know you will all agree. We know that this life poses dangers. There are many enticements that the world offers. So we're concerned that our children and grandchildren may make uh, the wrong turns in life, may, may compromise uh, on their values and convictions, particularly Christian convictions, by giving in to the enticements of the world. Parents are concerned. Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, was one such parent. As a parent, he had concerns about the well-being of his son, to whom he addresses in the text before us tonight very loving warnings so as to stay clear of the dangerous pitfalls and enticements of the world in which he lives. But though uh, the recipient of Solomon's words are his son, please don't limit what he has to say to his son. Uh, they apply also to those of us who are growing sons and daughters of God. And he in particular wants his son to be warned about two particular threats. And the first is one that comes from smooth-talking evil men. And the second one is a threat that comes from smooth-talking loose women. So nothing has changed from Solomon's day to ours, the same two potential pitfalls on our good walk with the Lord Jesus. And so this is how Solomon begins his words of warning to his son. Take a look. We're in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. Solomon begins by saying, my son. So you see, that's where I got this idea that he's writing to his son. My son, if you. And boy, uh, that's a, uh, a little word with a big connotation, the word if. If. It implies choice and volition. It implies the free will with which we have been created by God. Sometimes they say, oh God, why did you make us this way? Why didn't you just mandate our choices? We are not good decision makers. We make bad choices. Why don't you just tell us what to do? But of course, that wouldn't be an act of love. That's what a dictator does, not a loving heavenly father. And so Solomon is, is beginning his uh, words of warning to his son with this insinuation that his son may or may not heed his warning. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, if you, I'm, I'm, I'm supplying those words because they are understood, if you will make your ear attentive to wisdom, if you will incline your heart to understanding, for if you cry for discernment, if you lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then, so you see it's an if-then proposition, isn't it? First four verses. If you choose this course of action, if you do these things, then, then what? Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Solomon says to his son, whom he loved, 
and to us by application. If you diligently seek wisdom from God, then you will find it, for it is the Lord who gives wisdom. That's what it says. But though the Lord gives wisdom rather freely, the means by which God gives wisdom is through exertion, diligence, seriousness, commitment, and hard work by ones such as us. I'll tell you how I figured this out. Notice all the action verbs in verses one to four. Let me just rehearse them for you. Receive, treasure, make your ear attentive, incline your heart, cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding, seek her as silver, search for her as for treasure. You see, these are not passive words. This is not a secondhand experience. This is someone invited to dig in on a committed search for the treasures of wisdom. And so they're offered freely by God, but they don't come cheaply. Why would God offer words of wisdom to ones uh, of us who are not serious about it? And so these are all words of exertion. God is saying, I'm the source of wisdom, and you could find it, but it requires a measure of exertion on your part in order to obtain them. So these verbs tell us that though wisdom is freely available from God, it is not easily obtainable by us. We have to work at it. In fact, we have to seek after wisdom as one would seek for buried treasure. Lots of work goes into that task, as you know. The other day, my wife uh, came home and told me she had uh, misplaced and or lost her credit card. So I was proud of myself. I didn't go into sermon mode or anything like that. Uh, you know, I didn't impugn her character or anything inside. I wanted to do all the, you what? But then part of me was thinking, this is actually a blessing. I mean, you lose your credit card, you can't use it, right? <laughs> so I was, but anyway, um, I immediately went into this, uh, you know, well, let's think through where you last saw it. Where did you last see it? And so we identified that place and we went back to that place and it wasn't to be found. And and then I said, what about your purse? You know, I looked through it. I said, well, you know, I'm like a detail-oriented. Do you mind if I look through? You know, I'm sure you look through it thoroughly, but maybe I could just, you know, sometimes cards stick to other things. Let me look through it. Man, I looked through the purse. What about in the car? Is it possible that it didn't make it into the purse? You thought it did. It fell out of the purse. It's somewhere in the car. Can I have your keys to your car? Let me just go out there and and so I did all that kind of stuff. My goodness, I was exerting myself. Uh, I, I was bending over in the car. I was looking through the purse. I was focused. I was undistracted. I was intent on, on finding her credit card. I imagined finding it. It had value for it. I could sense the relief that there would be if, in fact, I, I didn't find it, by the way. Uh, and uh, so I got a new wife now. And uh, no. <laughs> with my credit card. No, no. But, but I thought to myself, oh, God, you know, I'm spending all this time exerting myself through strenuous activity, uh, looking for some monetary material kind of a thing. This is the kind of commitment and focus, undistracted work and exertion uh, God through Solomon is saying, we must be willing to exert in order to find wisdom. I was watching the news earlier today um, there's a $300 million lottery possibility. 
$300 million that you could win. And people were lining up at a place in Rosenberg. Um, it was, it's called Rudy's Stop and Shop. Rudy's Stop and Shop. Apparently, Rudy's has had uh, people who have purchased these cards, lottery cards in times past, and an amazing number have won. Sometimes a minimal amount, sometimes a large amount. And so people were lining up and, and you know, and pushing and shoving and uh, taking quite a good deal of time out of their schedule and driving from places far off. And I thought, oh, God, what is our problem? Wouldn't it be better if we exerted that kind of energy in, in uh, searching for, for the treasures of wisdom as contained in the pages of Scripture? And and so that's what Solomon is essentially, is essentially saying. And you realize when we speak of wisdom, we're speaking of the words of the Bible because the words of wisdom are the words uh, of the Bible. And so uh, God is essentially saying, here is the Bible. It's available to you. But if you really want to plumb its rich depths, you have to be willing to exert yourself in so doing. Uh, folks, I hope I'm not getting unduly negative in what I'm about to say. It sounds a little negative. I don't mean it to be so. Just a thought I had. One of the reasons why folks like you and I, I think, are more prone to read books about the Bible than the books of the Bible is that it doesn't take much work to read a best-selling book about the Bible. Somebody has already digested it for you and written it in a neat and orderly, sometimes infantile, simplistic way so that anyone could read it without thinking. We don't have to do word studies, generally speaking. We don't have to examine the context. You know what I mean? It's just sort of, sort of there. There are many good books out there. I gotcha. But no book is as good as any one of the books, any one of the 66 books of the Bible. And I'm just wondering if we were the first to, maybe not to buy a lottery ticket, but the first to the bookstore to, to, to purchase the new novelty book out there because here someone is, has maybe done the hard work of Bible study for us and now we want to get it secondhand. There's so many good devotional books out there. I got one for my 99-year-old mother the other day, a large print thing produced by our Southern Baptist Convention. It's just a wonderful thing. So please don't misunderstand. I'm not against those things. And, and, and yet what, what my mother is reading... Uh, 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 she's reading the devotional time of someone else when God has offered to each of us our own devotional time. So even though there are many wonderful devotional books out there, I benefit from some, I'm really jealous of my own time with the Lord. You know what I mean? You should be too. The problem is the devotional guides are already there. It's got a label, a nice illustration. It's got the verse of scripture under discussion in bold. And then there's an application and it even tells me how to pray at the end. I could just go through my day, my devotional guide, pretty mechanically and mindlessly. Here we go. Here's the title. But there's no sense of a personal relationship with God. There's really no vibrant sense of God very specifically speaking to you. I would encourage you uh, to dig in and do the hard work of, uh, of seeking words of wisdom in the pages of the Bible. I mean, we do call it the word of God. It seems to me if we really believed that, we would give it a little more attention. We would exert ourselves a little more in extracting from it and lifting from it all of the words of wisdom contained therein. But uh, how do you do it? How do you, how do, how do you access the truths of 
of Scripture. I was once privileged to be a missionary with a group called the Navigators. Perhaps you've heard of them. It's called the Navigators. It start because it was started by an unbelievable man now with the Lord named Dawson Trotman amongst military personnel, Navy in particular, hence the term Navigators. And the Navigators focus on things we call inductive Bible study and discipleship helps and helping believers to grow. And one of the helps I learned from the Navigators is something we call the Word Hand. And what the Navs did is they showed us five ways by which we could access the truths of Scripture, each way standing for one of the fingers on our hand. And if you if you uh, take advantage of all five means of access of the truths of the Bible, you get a firm grip on the Word of God. So here's the first. Here's the first. That would be like the pinky. The first way to access the words of wisdom in God's Word is to listen to it. That's obvious, isn't it? As you very graciously are doing now. Uh, each of us as Christians ought to make it our business to make sure we're regularly hearing from godly, equipped preachers and uh, teachers and others who can impart Scripture to us. We're very fortunate. I don't mind saying so myself. At this church, we have tremendous teachers, uh, a clergy and laity, men and women. We're very, very fortunate. So hearing or listening to the Word of God is one of the means of access to it. It takes some work. You have to carve out the time as you are doing tonight, and, uh, but it's worth it. Now, some say, oh, no, no, hearing the word of God is not profitable. And they say, uh, the reason is you only retain about 10% of what you hear. And, and they say, well, that's, that, that's not enough. You know, preaching and teaching people only remember 10% of what they heard. Well, and, and then they see you know, a lot of people, you ask them, what was the sermon uh, about that you heard last week? And a lot of people won't remember um, you know, I'll tell you why I'm not bothered about that. If you asked me what I ate for lunch or supper last Wednesday, I would have no idea. I don't remember what I ate a week ago, but I know it had its effect on me. It has the cumulative effect, food does, of nourishing me. So even I don't remember with specificity the food I ate at each meal, somehow it's still nourishing me. I don't think it's all that important to remember all the precise specifics of every sermon you or I hear. It's creating an atmosphere in our brain, in our mind, in our heart that is spiritually nourishing us so that we are growing even if we're not entirely aware of it. So I'm not really bothered by the fact that we, we, don't, we can't recall all that we heard in a sermon last week or in a uh, an iConnect class lesson. I'm not worried about that. I'm not even concerned too much about the 10% retention rate. All that means is listening to the Word of God taught or, or preached is not enough. Uh, all, all the 10% figure tells me is that's listening to the Word is one means of access, very valid, but we have to add to it. So here's a second one. Read it. Don't just listen to the Bible. Read it for yourself. So I've handed this out to you in times past, and uh, I brought some tonight. They're out, at, if you'd like, they're out at the receptionist desk in the lobby, or if you prefer, I put a pile here or on that end, or if you really would prefer, I'll, I'm glad to send you this electronically so you could, you could use it and make as many copies as you want, and I'll tell you the beauty of it. It's so simple 
that even a guy like me could use it. I'll tell you what's simple about it. There's no, it's, it's not date sensitive. A lot of Bible reading plans begin on the first of the year. Well, you know, we're at the end of September, so what are you going to do? Are you going to wait till January of next year to get rolling? And the other trouble with some Bible, uh, date-sensitive Bible reading plans is if you miss a day or two, you feel really, really discouraged, uh, you know, because you've got to read like four times as much to catch up. So there's no, there's no such pressure on this. All it is uh, is every book of the Bible, 66 books of the Bible, so it starts here with Genesis, and then there's a box for each of the chapters. Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4. How many chapters? Are there 50 chapters in Genesis? Something like that. And so too for each of the 66 books of the Bible. So what you could do is decide tomorrow morning to use this if you'd like. And you could say, I think I would like to start reading in um, Isaiah. Let's just say you want to do that. So tomorrow morning you would read Isaiah chapter 1. And when you finish, you just fill in the box. And on the next day, you read Isaiah chapter 2. And then after that, well, what if the third day you miss it? Well, it doesn't matter. God loves you. Everything's fine. You're doing pretty good. Don't worry about it. When you get back to it, you pick up where you left off. You just read Isaiah chapter 3. You don't skip around because God gives us the Bible in order. He starts, in, it's in books, right? Just like a book. You don't start any literature in chapter three. You start in chapter one. And, and, and you don't go from chapter one to, to chapter 16. You read in order. It's just common sense. Now, when you finish Isaiah, a couple things are going to happen. One, you're going to feel really good about yourself because it's all filled in. Then you might say, well, that's a big honking Old Testament book. I think I want to go to the New Testament now. Okay, good. So you pop into the New Testament. So you could read these in any order you want. Then you find out there are 150 songs or psalms in here. I mean, you don't feel like you want to read all 150 in a row. So what I usually do, let's say I finished my first book, Isaiah, I might read four or five psalms and then I'll pop into another book maybe Mark when I finish Mark I'll read another four or five psalms and the beauty of it is uh, it, it, it doesn't matter how fast you do this it's the direction not your speed and, and, and when you finish all of it is going to be filled out and even as you go along you progressively have have the joy of seeing that you're making progress and then you can find out at the end oh my goodness I've read every book of the Bible even Numbers and Leviticus you see and if you'd like we'll get you a star or or something will get you an award. So anyway, these Bible reading plans are available to you. So now we have two ways of accessing the wisdom of the Bible. One is to listen to it Two is to read it, and the third is to study it. And that doesn't mean anything mysterious. It means, it means I want to go deeper than I could just by listening or even reading. I want to really, really, I want to have some penetrating insight into the truths of Scripture. And, and when you study the Bible, you look at a passage very closely, you want to do so, uh, and in 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 order to answer three questions. One, what does it say? And that's called observation. What does it say? You just slow down and just see what's there. What does it say? That's observation. Then the second question you want to answer when you do Bible study is, what does it mean? What does it mean? 
That's called interpretation. So first you have to accurately see what's there. Second thing, you want to precisely understand what does it mean. And then the third question, first you ask what does it say. And then you ask what does it mean. And the third question is how does it apply to me. That's a very important question. How does it apply to me? That's called application. Now, I think if we have a tendency to be out of balance, we too quickly jump to the third phase of Bible study. We're so quick to, to make the Bible relevant and have it apply to us, I'm afraid we're skipping over what's there, what it says, and what it means. And as a result, sometimes we're making some very, very distorted applications of Scripture. Now, it's one thing to say to a group, you ought to study the Bible. I think we all would agree. But it's another thing to show folks how to study the Bible. And we're very fortunate here at Sagemont Church because we have people who could do that very thing. And I would like for you to meet two of them right now. So could I ask uh, my wonderful friends, Marcy Marsley and Debbie Doris, uh, to join me here on the platform. And when they come, I'll just tell you a, a, a little bit about them. If you're frustrated because you want to go deeper in the Bible... But nobody, uh, this is okay, nothing to be ashamed about. Nobody ever really showed you how to study the Bible. You've come to the right place tonight because these ladies and others, some of whom are here, there's the Watsons over there, Mike and Linda, and others, they know how to teach us not just the contents of the text, but how to tap into it ourselves. Isn't that good? So then you don't have an undue dependence on a preacher or a teacher. You can let God feed you personally. So this is Marcy. Thank you, Marcy, for being with us. And this is uh, Debbie. And these are wonderful folks. And uh, I would simply like to ask you in no particular order. Uh, Debbie, let me start with you. Uh, I know you're a student of the Bible. How did you and your Christian life get started? Well, I became a Christian um, not until I was almost 30, and um, I started going to church, and I was here every time the doors opened. But I was so in love with Jesus because I came to him so late in my life that it wasn't, it wasn't enough just to hear it and everything. And a friend of mine, um, actually her husband was one of the ones that led me to the Lord. She said, you know, there's this Bible study that I think you would really like. And so I started going to it, and it was amazing. It opened my eyes because I could do it for myself. I didn't have to. So I could do it every day. I didn't have to wait till Monday, Sunday or Wednesday. I could go every day and uh, sit at God's feet and have him teach me personally. And I thought that was more important than anything was that I was hearing straight from him. And so it hooked me. <laughs> That's the nature of personal relationships. So, so Debbie, you got off to a good start in your Christian life. Uh, but, uh, Marcy, that's not true of you. Tell us how different you are. Actually, I'm different than Debbie, but I'm not different than many people who sit in church every Sunday because I was also raised in a godly home, like many of you would say. Christian parents went to church, you know, every time we could, which was very, very often. I was taught the Bible. I knew Bible stories, and I loved the Lord, and I loved his word. As an adult, as a young adult, I began to realize I didn't fully get the scope of the Bible. I had pieces, but I didn't necessarily see the big picture and how it all fit together. 
And I really had a, a hunger to know more. I, I enjoyed listening. We came to Sagemont. We heard Brother John, and our eyes were opened. And so we were excited about the Word of God. And I just realized I wanted to know more about how to, to find that treasure myself. Uh, I began seeking out for a Bible study that would help me in that way. Tell me, ladies, what did you find here that satisfied your hunger and taught you how to study the Bible? Deb? Um, well, it was a Bible study, precept Bible study, and it taught me how to study the Bible for myself. And it, Marcy, that's your experience as well? Yes, it is. So it's called Precept Bible Study. Can you tell us, we have many Bible studies here, what's unique and particularly beneficial about participating in Precept Bible Study? Well, it's designed to help us learn how uh, some skills, some methods, a way to read the Bible. Uh, like Stuart said, slow down, uh, read it with care and purpose. And then it's a system, to uh, one way to put it, of taking apart those verses, seeing some of the words that are repeated, and asking why is this being repeated. It helps us find the message of those passages. And then we can go further with that. We make better interpretation. We can go to other places in the Bible to see how that adds insight into the passage that's under study uh, so that our application then becomes accurate as well. And um, Deb, I, I was reading in the in the Bible one time about the practice of stoning. If certain people violate the commandments of God, you line them up against the wall, you throw stones at them. Now that's in the Bible. What is it in precept that could help me to see that that probably is not exactly right? There's a certain word you all use that is a very key word. What is the word? The word is context. Yeah. And, and, and so context, context is what? It's king. So just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that the practice applies. Is that correct? So you people can teach us how to examine the context of the Bible. And this is just for women, right? Absolutely not. It's for men, women. Uh, we have older teens that come to our classes. Uh, we have family times. Occasionally we'll offer a class that is appropriate for all ages. And, and uh, Debbie, what study are you involved in now? Right now we're doing Hebrews. I am. And Marcy, you? I'm also in Hebrews, and we've got Acts uh, on Tuesdays, and we've also on Sundays have the book of Daniel, the book of Second Peter at this time. So if someone was interested, uh, what are the days uh, that they can participate in this? Is it just Tuesday? No, we have Tuesday morning, Tuesday evening, and we also have two classes on Sundays. And so while people are here, they could, they could sign up for one of the classes. In fact, you may have received when you came in. I hope you did. If you didn't, please help yourself to it on the way out, this blue sheet, which will give you basic information about Precept Bible Study, and one in particular that's coming up. Marcy, could you tell us about this one? I can. I'm very excited about it. Uh, we're going to offer a course that will help you to find out what Precept is all about. Uh, it's a relatively short course. In, in our terms, it's five weeks long. But in those five weeks, we'll go through the book of Jonah, and you'll learn these uh, skills that Stuart's already mentioned, observation, interpretation, application. 
It will be hands-on in class. It's a lot of fun to do this, guys. Uh, it is like a treasure hunt. And you go searching for these things, and you're rewarded at the end with great treasure of God's Word in your heart. So we'll do that for five weeks. And you'll also then have a chance to practice what you learned doing the book of Jonah by doing the book of Jude. And so at the end of five weeks, you will have covered two entire books of the Bible with greater depth of understanding, perhaps, than you've had in the past. Thank you, Marcy. Now, if you're interested in signing up, uh, you'll find instructions on this blue sheet. I really encourage you to do so, and thus you'll be alleviated of the frustration of being told about the importance of Bible study, but never having been shown how. One final thing, and here, Debbie, I think I'm, uh, I may be crossing the line a little bit, but you'll forgive me later. I know you. Um, Debbie's husband, who's a fantastic man, uh, has, uh, is afflicted with a particular condition. I want her to tell us about it for two reasons, so we could pray, because she covets our prayers for him and for her. But I want to know, uh, you have tapped into the Bible over all these years. Um, is, are the truths of Scripture being a help to you these days? And if so, How? These are big, big things, Deb. Do your best, and I apologize for this. Okay. Um, my husband has a neurodegenerative disease called primary progressive aphasia. Uh, the frontal and the temporal parts of his brain are deteriorating. It's progressive, and there's not a cure or a treatment. So I get to, like if you have Alzheimer's, you get to watch, gradually watch them disappear. So um, it's been hard for me because he's not really, you know, he's frustrated he can't talk because that's the main thing right now. But... It's frustrating for me because I can't do anything, and I'm a control kind of a person. Um, but the fact that I have studied God's Word for all these years, I, I can go to God's Word and know I can find help for when I'm hurting, no matter how I'm feeling, whether I'm impatient or frustrated or um, sad or sorrowful. I find that when I go to God's Word, He lifts me up. He makes me understand that with Him, I can go through this journey that he has me on and that um, I'm not by myself. And I can find scripture, whereas before I wouldn't have a clue how to find a scripture for, you know, I was frustrated at him or something. I wouldn't have a clue how to find a scripture to help me feel better about that. But having studied God's word and understanding how God's word works together, I've been able to do that. So I can go run to my Savior um, through his word and find help that I need on the days that I need it the most. And so um, I can have joy in sorrow um, because that's what he gives me through his word. And I know that by how I've been able to study it. So. Thank you, thank you. Please join me in thanking both of these ladies. God bless you both. Thank you for the contribution you make here at the church. Uh, I, I take it you don't have to be a member of Sagement to participate in the Precept Bible study. They're spreading the wealth. Please remember to pray for Debbie and her husband, and thank you both for, for, for doing this and for investing in our lives and for investing in the Word of God. Um, so we spoke about some of the means of accessing the Bible. You can listen to it. You can read it. You can study it. And the fourth means of tapping into Scripture is to memorize it. You know, the Lord Jesus was tempted by the evil one on our Israel trips. We go to some of the very areas where that happened. On one occasion, the evil one said to him, uh, the Lord having had nothing 
to eat or drink for quite a while. The evil one said to him, command that this stone become bread. He did that in the Judean wilderness. It's a real place. You can visit it today. On another occasion, uh, the evil one took the Lord to what's called the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. We were just there a few weeks ago. It's a very real place. You can see it. It's a it overlooks the Kidron Valley, and there the evil one said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. You know, God will take care of you. And then the third temptation Satan gave, essentially, well, this is very direct. He said, I'll just give you all kinds of stuff if you bow down and worship me. Uh, you can see that recorded in Matthew chapter 4. And in all three cases, the Lord responded with the same three words. Do you happen to know what they are? It is written... Amen. It is written. Now, the Lord could have said, and God said, but he didn't. He said, it is written. That's kind of a difference. By saying it is written, he is confirming and verifying the reliability and authority of the written word of God. Now, if the Lord himself had such confidence in Scripture that he invoked it as truth, which is enscripturated. It is written, it is written. That's enough to give us confidence in studying the word of God. Three times he quoted scripture. Uh, they happened to be from Deuteronomy. And what caught my attention is that he had, he had this truth available to him out there in the real world, and that's the value of memorizing scripture. We're fairly protected here tonight in each other's company, but then we'll take leave of one another. The Bible says the evil one prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It's harder for him to pick us off when we're involved here in a corporate Bible study and worship, but when we're out there alone in the real world, we need something uh, to use against the evil one, and so the word of God is referred to as the sword of the spirit. It's a weapon of offense to use against the evil one, just as the Lord himself did. And so I want to encourage you to memorize scripture. And then the fifth and final means of taking in the word of God is to think about it. Another way of putting that is to meditate on it. Uh, Moses' time in leading Israel was coming to an end. His replacement was Joshua. God gave Joshua instructions, and here's what he said to him. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, he said, this book of the law, the Bible, shall not depart from your mouth. That means don't take it lightly, uh, but you shall meditate on it. That's what God said to Joshua, day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have Good success. So meditation is like the thumb on your hand. It makes contact with the other four fingers. So we have these five means of access. It's listening to the Word of God and reading the Word of God and studying the Word of God and memorizing the Word of God. And, and then, and then the, the thumb, the fifth finger, is to meditate. Always be thinking on it, dwelling on it, slowing down. And when we use all five means of Bible intake, we can get a strong grip on the Word of God. Let me just mention as an aside, biblical meditation is entirely different than other forms of meditation. Eastern or New Age forms of meditation uh, 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 persuade us to empty our mind. In fact, in certain world religions like Buddhism, there's actually that principle. It's called the principle of no-mindedness, where you so quiet yourself um, uh, that you empty your mind of all thoughts. And the goal of that kind of meditation and uh, similar kinds of meditation is to be open 
to whatever voices there may be out there for you. Folks, I find that to be very, very dangerous because though there is the voice of the Holy Spirit, uh, there, is, there are the voices of evil spirits as well. My fellow Christians, I would be careful about something called contemplative prayer. It's a new thing, taking the world by storm. And uh, you'll forgive me for sounding uh, 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 a little slanted here, but it's mostly women who are buying into the contemplative prayer movement. I'm just stating a fact. And that's where you just settle down, you quiet yourself, you just get quiet before God, and you just stay there until you hear something. Well, I'm concerned about that, because how do you know whose voice you're hearing from? And I need to tell you uh, that uh, the meditation the Bible speaks of is the opposite of clearing your mind of all things. It encourages deliberate filling of our mind with the Word of God. Just as God said to Joshua, don't take the Word lightly. Don't let it depart from your mouth. You should meditate, think on it, focus on it all through the day. So you don't want to empty your mind of stuff because it could be Satan who fills it up for crying out loud. You want deliberate focus on the Bible, on the Word of God. So that's biblical meditation. Now, it just occurs to me that I've taken up a whole lot of time. So I think what I'm going to do, how about this? This is a good cop-out. I, I mean assignment. Assignment. I know you will read the rest of the chapter on your own. Would you do so slowly and reflectively? When you finish reading it, look on your Bible reading chart. You can cross out already. Proverbs chapter 2. Look at that. You're on the way. And I want you to identify for yourself what are the two dangers Solomon wants his son to be warned about. You'll see it. You'll see it. Uh, and and uh, he wants his son to tap into God's wisdom so as to be protected from two sources of danger in particular. See if you can identify those in the, in the remainder of this chapter. Do that on your own. I think you'll have fun doing it. And let me just close with, let me close with this. Um, if you ask the average person, um, would you prefer to have silver, treasure, or wisdom, uh, the average person would say, uh, I would prefer material wealth over, over wisdom. Solomon, by metaphor, refers to God's wisdom as being as valuable as silver and uh, as necessary uh, to seek after as buried treasure. But the average one, I hope not of us, but the average person would really opt for material resource rather than the spiritual resource of wisdom. But there are certain things that uh, wealth cannot buy for us or obtain. Uh, let me just illustrate. Uh, there was a man named Jack Whitaker. He won a record $315 million in Powerball in 2002. Uh, but his life thereafter came to be characterized by a long list of arrests and lawsuits and broken relationships and alcoholism. And in 2007, his wife said, I wish he had torn up the ticket. There are certain things money cannot buy. There was a lady named Evelyn Adams. She won the New Jersey lottery, not once, but twice. Her total winnings were over $5 million, but it didn't last long. She squandered it all on gambling. 
an addiction she couldn't break, and she ended up dirt poor. There's a man named Billy Bob Harold Jr. He won uh, $31 million in, uh, with a name like that, naturally, the Texas Lottery. Uh, but in 20 months, he lost it all, every penny. He was a charitable man. He gave lots away to charity, but soon his spending got so far out of control, he lost it all, and people started to harass him like crazy for money. He separated from his wife. They divorced. Soon thereafter, his son found him dead from self-inflicted wound. There was a man named Willie Hurt. He won $3.1 million in the lottery. Two years later, he was absolutely broke after spending all his money on crack cocaine, and then he was charged soon thereafter with murder. There's a lady named Ibi Ronkaioli. She won $5 million in playing the lotto. She didn't tell her husband that she was spending her winnings on a child she had with another man. Her husband found out. Then he was found guilty of manslaughter after he poisoned her. What would you rather have, I ask you? Wealth, if you had to choose wealth or wisdom. There's no shame in being wealthy, but God can only entrust it to some of us. We wouldn't handle it well. I'm telling you, don't sell your soul (laughs) for what the world can offer. Wisdom, which means skillfulness in living life, raising children, relating to uh, friends, handling finances, um, keeping sex within godly bounds, um, purpose in life, relational skills, You can't put a price on these things. These are the skills so sorely needed. I watched an entertainment show the other night, one of these, uh, I don't know what they call it, where they report on what's going on in Hollywood. I mean, one couple after another, divorcing, 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 divorcing. Beautiful people, uh, surely intelligent people, very gifted, very gifted people, um, undeveloped in the area of life skills. Fame and fortune is theirs, but not wisdom. They can't sustain a relationship. I assure you, not a one of them entered into a relationship of commitment with the thought that it would explode in their face, and yet this so frequently happens. It's a glaring illustration to us that even those who have a major portion of what the world has to offer may lack skillfulness in living life, but we're rich when we have God's wisdom. It's available to us, but we have to be willing to search for it just as one would mine for, mine for gold. So, Lord Jesus, would you arouse us and stir us up uh, so that we dig in and plumb the depths of your word, which you have made so freely available to us, to squeeze out of it uh, the meaning and the purpose behind it, to learn how to live life skillfully. Oh, God, we don't have to be wiser than the contents of the Bible will make us, People are offering wisdom, I think, in all the wrong places, but you've, you've made it a one-package deal. The 66 books of the Bible tell us everything we need to know to live life successfully, to run the race with endurance, to bring glory to your name, and to be good for the people around us. Would you set our sights like never before? Therefore, on the well of wisdom, which is contained in the pages of Scripture. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.